All right. I want to begin by reading a verse from the book of Amos, Amos 9.9, and then we're going to look at Luke 22 and go there. Last week we had a study on the perfection of God known as faithfulness, right? God is always faithful, and and uh, this tonight is going to be a, sort of a message geared to that, a faithful God who prays. He prays for us, and it's a good thing, you know. And by the way, it's good to see a lot of folks out tonight, and I'm glad uh, uh, you, everybody, I don't know, just looks fuller tonight for some reason, so I'm glad. But uh, let's begin reading here in Amos chapter 9, verse 9. It says, For surely I will command and will sift the house of Israel among all nations. As grain is sifted in a sieve, in a sieve, yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. And then let's read Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 33. And the Lord said to Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren but he said to him lord i am ready to go with you both to prison and to death and let's pray again our lord we are so thankful we have the word of god and thank you lord you can give it to us and i pray tonight you would just uh, work among us and encourage us where we need to be encouraged i pray lord uh, reprove us where we need to be reproved but more than anything we thank you that you are faithful you abide faithful all the time and Lord, we ask tonight you be exalted among us as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You come to this uh, dialogue, and I wanted to go back to the Old Testament there first, just Amos 9.9, 9, when it said that, talking about the house of Israel being sifted, and uh, they, yet, the Bible says there, he would not lose them, you know. And we see the faithfulness of God that even in the midst of trials and sometimes judgment even, uh, he still is the one who's faithful and he abides faithful. And the proof of that is that Israel is still around, you know, all these thousands of years later, right? Um, I think it's one of the greatest proofs on earth anyways of the existence of God in that his plan, which was already declared, you know, way before uh, it still still goes on, and um, that's just one of many, many proofs for sure. But I want to go back there and just look at the beginning of this um, in Luke 22. You come to the, uh, well, the, the dialogue here with Simon Peter, and Simon is ready at this point. You know, he's always with a guy that was impetuous and seemed like he was uh, ready to do anything, but uh, often failed, and we find that the biggest failure, of course, is that uh, just before Christ was crucified, on that night when he was betrayed, it was Simon who denied him, denied the Lord. And, I mean, that's really a, a great fall, if you want to look at it. I mean, it really is a tremendous fall. This one who was one of the closest uh, of the Lord's disciples and a leader among the group even, and yet he's the one that denies the Lord and often that is kind of, you know, it hangs over him in that way. But yet God wasn't done with him. And even before all that denial takes place, he has this dialogue with the Lord. And uh, there's some things we can learn about this here tonight. Verse 31, it says, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you. Have you ever thought of that, that Satan himself actually asks for you? He may. He asked for Peter. 
that's not the first occasion where we see a dialogue that uh, seems to, uh, you know, be between God and Satan. And, and why I say that is because here Jesus kind of pulls the veil back a little bit and he lets us see something that normally we wouldn't see. We, we aren't privy to the dialogue between angels and God and, and fallen angels and God, particularly the devil, uh, as, as he's known. But there are a few occasions in Scripture where we are. Uh, matter of fact, in the book of Job, in Job chapter 1, you have the dialogue there where God, well, the, it says the sons of God appear before the Lord. And Job 1 verses 6 to 12 is the, uh, the context there. And listen to what it says. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves, <clears throat> and i got to get rid of that, before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Now that goes very well with First Peter 5, 9, right? The, that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, going to and fro. You see that picture. And in the process of that, he has to present himself to the Lord. In other words, he's not totally God to himself, as uh, some would kind of you know, make him to be. Uh, he's not. Matter of fact, he's a created being, just like in, in, in limitation, uh, like other angels, and just like man, too, is a created being. Different, for sure, than man, but he is a created being. He's not like the opposite of God, as so many people would kind of portray uh, Satan as in a good and an evil, right? And Satan fits that role. He's actually a fallen angel, and we know that of him. But anyways, you have this, that the sons of God appear before the Lord. And let's move on. I'll read a little bit more. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And you have that um, account there, again, a dialogue that takes place in heaven. And we know some things just from that one chapter. That's all we had in reference to who Satan is. We could learn a lot from it even there. You know, we certainly in character with where he appears elsewhere in Scripture or is recorded and what he does. He's out there working evil and he's out there seeking whom he may devour. And it's the Lord who says, have you considered Job? <laughs> you know, I, I, that whole theology of suffering is a hard one to wrap around. That you realize that there in a very real way that there are times that we suffer and we do so in accordance with God's plan for us we do so not that he he started suffering or created evil in that way but he allows it to work his purpose and that's far deeper than I can always understand for sure but here in this case he says have at Job just you can't touch his person you can't you can't remove him. you know why because God keeps his servant you know that and eternally he keeps us secure it doesn't mean that his health wouldn't be affected we know it was 
Remember, after uh, the Lord was allowed, or the Lord allowed Satan to even strip him of everything, his personal you know, life around him, the people around him, all those things, and yet his health fails too. And there's a lot, again, we could learn about that. But in the process of it, there's this dialogue that goes back and forth. And if you keep that in mind, when you go back to Luke's gospel, um, in reality, that is, sounds very similar, doesn't it? Where it says, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. Hmm. I, I often wonder, does Satan ever ask for me or for you? Maybe we're not even on his radar, you know? Uh, again, God puts a hedge about us as well. Uh, we don't know the extent of that. He can remove that hedge very quickly. But I could tell you that if he didn't put a hedge about us, that every single one of us would be destroyed by Satan, our enemy. So I know he hedges us about. And he guards us with his power. And uh, I, I say that because we get that from that same context of Scripture in that. That he may sift you as wheat. Now, think of Amos 9.9 9 and... Here is Simon, right? Shimon, his Hebrew name. And here's Simon as he's there. And, and maybe that rang a bell in his mind when he thought about Amos. You know, Amos had declared that the Lord would not allow him to be sifted. Um, yet I think Simon doesn't get it here either, does he? He goes right back at it. And the desire of Satan really is that... Um, he actually goes and makes strong demands on our behalf. And by the word, uh, by the way, the word "asked" it's an emphatic word, and it is in the Greek very strong. Like he strongly asked. It wasn't just like, "Oh, hey, what's Peter up to today, uh, Lord?" You know, I think I'd like to tempt him. Um, you no, know, he was asking in a strong way. And yet, the Lord has an answer. He says, "I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you." I'm glad for the Lord being. The one who uh, not only hears Satan, <laughs> but he's the one that hears us and knows where we're both at. And he knows exactly how to take care of us in that. And by the way, leave it with the Lord, too. Um, there are people that have dedicated their lives to what uh, you know, call spiritual warfare and that they go looking for Satan. You know, you don't if you're a spiritual person, you do not have to go looking for Satan. He'll look for you. All right. And uh, I, I say that because. Uh, I don't see that in Scripture. I, I see a defensive warfare that we are called, and the only offensive warfare we have, and that is, according to Ephesians 6, is the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. Everything else listed there is that. So you want Satan to attack you? I don't, I don't but I can say this. Just start using the Bible and telling people and study it and get into it, and he'll come because that's the weapon that we have at our disposal. Well, we have Satan's desire, but we have Christ's prayer. And he goes on to say this, but I have prayed for you. I have underlined those in my print Bible. I, I love that, that phrase, but I have prayed for you. Uh, you know, there's people I have told and said, you know, I'm going to pray for you, pray for your situation, and I, and I forgot, or I failed to do it. I got busy doing something else. Or I said I'd pray regularly, and I don't. And I'm saying that to confess that, you know. And there are people that I do pray for regularly, and I try to pray, you know, and things like that. But I can say this, that God never fails in that area. And don't, uh, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, man's prayers will fail someday because eventually we fail, right? And it, whatever, our health will fail even. I'm thankful for those that, that take that upon themselves. But I will say this, that Jesus has prayed for me today because he said he prayed for Peter. 
and, and couple that with what the further books of the New Testament declare, including Hebrews, you know, we have a high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. Romans 8, we have the Spirit of God who intercedes. And then we have the Lord who intercedes. Further on down in Romans 8, it says Jesus, our, our Savior, who intercedes. So, again, God is interceding on our behalf, and He is faithful at that. That's why in Hebrews 7.25, it talks about how He can save this them to the uttermost um, if he didn't or if he wasn't faithful he couldn't save us to the uttermost could he you know in all of that uh, I got a few more thoughts on that but I'll move on here um, we see Peter's conversion okay and I say conversion because he says this he says and when you have returned to me strengthen your brethren now this is in the context is Peter has not really done the big failure yet he hasn't denied the lord matter of fact in this next verse he says i'm willing to go to prison for you lord i'm willing even to die for you and sometimes god takes us up on that doesn't he when we say things like that um i'm glad he doesn't take us up on it all the time i mean that because probably some of us would uh, we'd be going through some really hard times for sure but uh, he was going to take peter up on that uh, historically, that's what happened. We find right in the book of Acts, it's Peter who's in prison, remember, and he's released and delivered. Later on, he would be arrested probably on numerous occasions, but he was ended up uh, being killed uh, under persecution from the Romans and uh, died on a cross. And he was did not want to be uh, killed in the same manner as his Lord. He requested to be crucified upside down on a cross. And uh, when I think of that, he, the Lord took him up on his de- declaration. But, you know, he didn't do that right away, did he? It took a lot of years for Peter to get to that point. When Peter, when the pressure was on just a little bit, he denied him. And yet the Lord was going to use that in his life to make him a stronger Christian because of it. And there's some things here. I like this. He says, when you've turned back and return to me okay and the word means that to do a 180 and turn around uh he he's he's telling him you're going to turn back what i like about that is a few things it doesn't matter how miserably you might have failed the lord or failed others in the process of that there's a place to turn back you know repentance and that's exactly what peter would do eventually You really have here a, a picture of how the Lord is able to keep us. Um, it is the topic of the perseverance of the saints. It really is that he will accomplish what he began in us and it will be fulfilled someday in Christ fully in our salvation. And I, I'm glad for that. And he's the one that's doing it. We have uh, some interesting things that go on when uh, Peter, by the way, when Peter does um, fail the Lord, the Lord doesn't criticize him over that. You notice that? I, I do. I criticize Peter. It's easy to point to Peter and say, oh, you were bad, you know. I, I haven't done that, boy, you know. And we do that a lot, don't we? We look left and right, and if we look a little better than the next guy, we're okay. Is that really the truth? No, it isn't. Is it? You, you're not really okay. But you look to the Lord, and, you, and the Lord never criticized him, and he never gave up on him. Never. In John's Gospel, we read Peter, he goes back fishing, right? I go a fishing. <laughs> that phrase. 
Peter was a man of, of very simple words in many ways, and he would just go and do something. He made a decision, I'm leaving this and going back to what I know, which is fishing. And I'm sure you've heard many messages on that. And was the Lord done with him? No. The Lord appears to him there and uh, cooking fish on the rocks, right? And on the coals and uh, recommissions him, sends him forth again. Oh, I'm thankful for a God who does not fail and a God who is able to recommission us when we do. Really, Peter was going to be stronger because of his sin of denial. He came out of that, and it's interesting. He, uh, uh, it's sort of the principle of a, a broken bone. They say, you know, when you break a bone in the place that it heals back, if it heals back properly, it's actually stronger, you know, and it has a tendency to get, you know, that way. Uh, and here the Lord has allowed Peter to go out, and, you know, he's broken him, really, and he's a broken man. But God was going to take that broken man and say, I can now use you. And he was going to bring him to a place where, Peter could stand up and preach and 3,000 people would get saved and it wouldn't be Peter doing it. It was the Lord doing it. You know what I mean? I think prior to that, prior to his failure, I think Peter would have taken great pride in that. But we don't see him doing that. We think about a lot of things here that Peter went and did, but... um, you see, Jesus already noted that Peter would fail. He tells him ahead of time, you're going to fail. Uh, it's not real encouraging words, by the way, when you're sending out people. Uh, you imagine having a commissioning service here, and we gather some people and you know, headed off to a mission team or doing something like that, and we say, oh, by the way, you're going to fail. <laughs> you're going to fail miserably. Uh, now, we don't always know the future exactly how we'll fail, but you know what? I can say that... No matter what I do, I will fail. Not, I will never do it perfect, in other words, here. Uh, I was thankful for missionaries that sat down with me before we went to Ukraine and uh, we sat down with Sandy, too, and they, they said, these are places we really, we really lost it. You know, we failed. We, we don't do these things. You know, I learned from some of them. Sometimes I had to do it myself to learn. But those are ways. And God never gave up through the whole process had something even better for that. And for the times that I look back and, you know, we kind of got beat up our last year there, not physically in the sense that someone was there beating us, but I will say it just felt like there were trial, there was a trial after a trial after trial, and my wife had health complications and all kinds of things going on. And we thought, this is it, you know, gonna, I'm out. <laughs> Take me home, Lord. I'm ready to quit this. And Later he used it. I see where he he used it in our own life to strengthen others and to encourage them in those things. And so, anyways, it's another story. You've heard it before anyways. Some things that Peter lost in his failure when he denies the Lord. And in that section of Luke, he tells him right after that, that you'll deny me. And before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And that's exactly what he does. He goes out and denies the Lord. And when he hears that rooster crow... He was reminded of the word of Christ, the word of God. It's funny what will bring us back sometimes. It's always the word of God, and it's the spirit of God. He doesn't stop. You know, he, he continues to do that. And it's so often uh, in my own life, I've, I've heard a Bible verse just at the right time to get me off the edge of the cliff, you know. And he puts you back on the road. 
But some things that Peter lost in his failure, he lost his vanity. <laughs> you see, before that, he really was a somebody. And he probably, if he's like me, he prided himself that he walked with Jesus. There he is, you know. I'm, I'm, with, this, I'm with the Messiah. Came into town, he was, he was with Jesus. And I, I can't say for sure that's what Peter's heart was, but, but if he's like any other person, he probably struggled with that, you know. And then... In the process of that, he lost his pride, didn't he? Because when he denied the Lord, he even denied having known him, you know. And he really, he lost his pride. He lost his self-confidence. Interesting how in this context, he says, I'm willing to go to prison for you. I'm willing to die. I'll go anywhere, Lord. I'm a somebody. Now, I'm adding those words, but I'm just saying that's how we sometimes come to things. And you know what? Until we walk through some of those valleys like that, until we go through some miserable failures, you can't fully understand and appreciate that restoration sometimes. His rash impulsiveness. That's another thing. It's interesting after the resurrection, you don't see a Peter who's just impulsively going here and there and doing things. Now he's still Peter, but he, you know, he's, he's settled down a bit, more steady in his process some things that he gained in the failure because christ told him you'll fail and he gained a humility and he did when you read through and we're studying what first peter now you read through that you you know he is someone uh, that had every right to brag about his relationship of being a close disciple and then an apostle of christ but he isn't and again identifies himself a servant a new confidence in God. That's what gives Peter that boldness. And again, he was spirit-filled, but he gives that boldness when he preaches on the day of Pentecost and then elsewhere. His courage was tested in the, the trying of your faith, you know, and certainly he was. When he sat in jail and he figured this was it, and the Lord delivered him. That was a trial. The different times he was persecuted. And ultimately, when he died, uh, being crucified is what tradition says. And then he had a new determination to serve Jesus Christ. Again, another thing that I look at and I see these, it was really all these disciples before the resurrection and really before the ascension, you could say that, some 40 days later. Um, these disciples, all of them, they were, they were fearful. Um, they were hiding in right locked room. I mean, that's where they were. Peter's gone back of fishing. He, I'm getting out of here. Go back to a place where maybe nobody will see me or find me. And yet, 40 days after that, Jesus ascends to heaven. Just before that, he commissions his, his apostles and followers, you know, gives them the great commission. And they go out and they do some really bold things. And they go to places that, I mean, just amazing, you know. Um, I think it was Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? as we call him. I wish we wouldn't call him that, really, because probably all of us doubt here and there. But he wasn't, didn't end as a doubter, you know. Uh, I think it's in Fox's Book of Martyrs that Thomas died in India, having proclaimed the gospel to a group of, as Fox puts it, pagans who were idol worshipers, and he, he preached against their idolatry, and so they killed him. Why was he in India? 
<laughs> I mean, India was a hostile place, by the way, back then. Alexander the Great couldn't even get into India very far before he was repelled. And Alexander, there's not many people have the Great added to their name, right? He was able to sweep right across the Middle East, Europe, Africa, all that. And you know what? He gets to India and wham! He's met with war elephants and hostile people that he had never seen the likes of. And he turns back. Thomas didn't. Thomas went on. And others like that. They went to those places like that. They, they had a holy boldness. Peter was like that. And I'm so thankful that though he, you know, we might say, oh yeah, he's the guy that denied Christ. Or Thomas, he's the one that, that doubted. That's not how they ended. And that's not how they lived the rest of their life. They had a new determination to serve the Lord. And that's why he says, And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. He was going to take Peter, who was, seemed like such a failure, and he was going to turn him around to strengthen the other ones. And he is. He's a leader among the disciples. And not only the brethren, those, but among the Jews themselves. And you, know, you think of the, the early church. Peter was an influence in that early church in Jerusalem, a very strong influence in that so much so he had gotten the, the you know the authorities were upset with him that's why he was in jail right uh, that's why the accusation was about the apostles that they had filled jerusalem with their doctrine wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony if the town had a special meeting tonight because we filled matawaska with our doctrine eh, i don't know we're more concerned about roosters and things like that right no I, i'm just saying those are important things but but seriously you know I'm saying those are, that's what, these that have turned the world upside down have come here also, right? That was the, the testimony of unsaved people telling, you know, there are other unsaved people. These are those same people. They turned the world upside down. Well, maybe we should because <laughs> it would be right side up then, right? Probably if we really knew what the Lord could do with us, uh, even after failing sometimes, you know, uh, it would shock us. When we, you sell out to the Lord, He can use you. And I think humility is the, the secret there with Him. He, he knew that He was going to fail. Christ knew He was going to fail. Peter didn't really see it until afterwards, but he did exactly what the Lord told him to do. He went and strengthened his brethren and did that. One of the great things about the Lord is that he specializes in putting people back together, you know, and he prays for us, doesn't he? Um, let's see if I have a verse here. Let me go to the right section. John 17. Here you have Jesus praying. Remember, he's, he, he, the first section of that John 17, he prays for himself. And then he prays for his disciples. And this is the section he prays for his disciples, just the three verses out of that says, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus begins his prayer for his followers to say, Keep them, Father. And you know why? He, what he claims, and again, he's doing that for our benefit to understand this theologically, is that based on the unity of the the triune God or the Father and the Son unity that's mentioned here, he says, keep them that way too. Not just in unity with one another, but kept in Christ. Is that relationship with God in Christ, you know, the, the Godhead ever 
you know, dissolved? No. Closest being at, at the cross, when the fellowship of the, the Father and the Son were separated by sin. However, they didn't cease to be God, another one. We're always that, that unity of the, the triune God. And here he says, for you followers, he says, my followers, keep them like that. That's good. He's able to do it too. And then he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Well, that's exactly what he told Peter. He didn't say to Peter, I'm going to, I've prayed for you that you'll be removed from this world and you'll never have a problem again. He doesn't say it at all. Instead, he tells him elsewhere, you know, you're going to, you're going to be in trouble. Actually, the very next section of John of Luke 22 there tells them, Now's the time to take money with you. Get your knapsack. Sell your coat and buy a sword. Like, what? where's this coming from? You know what he's telling you? He said, get ready. Disciples, you're going to go out and you're going to have a little harder go at it. What has been provided for you right now is going to be taken away. You're going to go out there and you're going to take care of it now. And that's an odd passage. It really is. It's interesting that Jesus... But anyways, back to this. He didn't pray that they'd be taken out of the world. And then his generic prayer for all of us i think that's what john 17 is i do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one and the word to keep there is to protect or to guard against and i really believe this that it isn't that you know he doesn't allow satan to have some influence on us absolutely does according to the book of job and others but he will not ultimately be able to take us he won't be able to defeat us even the evil one himself. And there's some things we could learn about that. And, you know, I really think back to this whole thing is that it's really in keeping with the Lord's will, according to what he revealed, far more than, than what he's revealed like this, than, than praying prayers like, Lord, keep me from all uh, bad things in my life or keep me, you know, healthy and keep me blessed and Help me, you know, with more money in my bank and all that. Those are prayers we often kind of gravitate to. And we do have needs and whatnot. But what Jesus was more concerned about is that we would live in the world, but the evil one wouldn't take us, you know. If you look through Scripture, you'll see a lot of people that, uh, <laughs> that miserably failed, Right? And some, we don't have the end of their life. Sometimes the failure was the end of their life. Uh, I think of Noah. He, he was a man, the end of his life, he gets drunk, and you don't see really much good after that. Yet he's recorded in Hebrews 11 as a man of faith, right? And you have Abraham. He lied more than one occasion. Yet he's there. Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. He just never really... When Jacob was alive up to the end of his life, I guess, but you know, most of his younger years, he was always up to something, scheming, and yet a man of faith. Moses, Moses was a murderer. He never had, if you had background checks on Moses, he would have failed him, okay? Anywhere he went. Moses was a murderer. Yet Christ calls him the meekest man that ever lived. Rahab, Rahab the harlot, right? Rahab the harlot. Everywhere in the Old Testament talks about Rahab the harlot, but 
You come to the New Testament, it's Rahab, you know. How about David? David was an adulterer. How about Paul? He persecuted the church, right? And certainly we could go on and on with those things and, and see that. But I'll just say this, that the Lord is the one who, He is in control. He prays for us. He is the one who hand-picked these disciples. And He's the one that is able to keep every single one. And it's by His grace He does that. And I'm thankful that He prays. Even if we're not faithful, He, he continues to pray. So let's get in line with His will and pray also. How's that sound? Father, we thank You for Your Word. And as we looked at it tonight, I, I pray again there would be something that we could take home with us tonight and take to heart knowing that You abide faithful. And Lord, I pray that You would take even our failures at times, Lord, and use that to strengthen us, that we might strengthen others also. Thank You for the, just the simple provision of repenting, turning back, and Lord, turning towards You. And thank You that You are going to keep us no matter what. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.